Well, good morning. I'm Thad Lanthrop, the executive pastor here at CIV, and we are getting towards the end of our Streams of Thought message series where we've been looking at how our thoughts tend to flow in streams. And these can be positive streams, they can be negative streams, but when we focus, hey, we're going to get the roll in again, huh? Oh, no, all right. I'll keep on going then. <clears throat> but when we get focused on these negative streams of thought, they can really wreak havoc in our life. And they can wreak havoc as long as we don't counter them with truth found in the Bible. Thoughts are so important because what you focus on turns into what your life is about. Thoughts very quickly get filtered into emotions and actions and When we focus on the wrong thoughts, then we can end up feeling and doing things that lead to damaging ourselves, damaging to other people. This week, I've been battling thoughts of just feeling overwhelmed. You know, Christmas season's coming, work's busy, there's just a lot going on at home as well, and... The thoughts that were coming to mind were just, this is too much. How, how can I get it all done? Or, man, that took you a long time to do that. You're slow. Shouldn't it take you that long to get that done? Oh, since it took you that long, now you're behind. You're not going to get all that's done. And we can cycle through these thoughts that just tear us down. Rehearsing those thoughts, types of thoughts, over and over and over again, it can just be exhausting. You feel like you're just getting beat up over and over again in your head. And these types of thoughts enter into our minds because the reality is that Christ followers are in a spiritual war. There's a handout in your program you can use to follow along if you would like, but Christ followers are in a spiritual war. We see this in Ephesians 6, 12. It says, For we who do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The we here is Christ followers. We know that because this book, Ephesians, was written to a church in Ephesus. So it was written specifically to Christ followers. And just a quick look at what a Christ follower is, we can find that in Romans 10.9. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Christ followers confess that Jesus is Lord. They're saying... God, I've been living life my own way. I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow you now. You are Lord. You are boss over my life. I will trust what the Bible says and live it out in my life. And they believe that God raised from the dead as a sacrifice for their sins. And what happens when you do that is you stop opposing God and going your own way and you start cooperating with him, but we have an enemy who doesn't like that. He hates it. That's the spiritual war that Christ followers find themselves in. Now, some of you might be here today and you're you're not yet a Christ follower and really glad that you're here and you're checking it out. The reality is that we're all in this spiritual war, whether we're aware of it or not. And Ephesians is talking about the Christ followers battle, but the Bible is very clear. 
that there's a battle for the Christ follower. There's a battle for people who aren't following Christ as well. The enemy is trying to either get the Christ follower off track from going God's way, or he's trying to keep us off track, not following God. So that's the context for these streams of thought that we have. The context is there's this battle going on in our minds, this spiritual battle. And the devil was defeated on the cross through Jesus Christ when he died. And he knows that his time here on earth is short, so he's trying to cause as much damage as he possibly can. And so, with that in mind, with that in mind for our streams of thought and what's going on, we find some real help in the Bible for how to stay alert, how to combat these thoughts that are coming at us. And we see that we must stay alert against the enemy's schemes. We're going to take, uh, spend some time in 1 Peter, a couple of verses in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. And this book was written in the New Testament, which is the portion of the Bible that was written from Jesus' life moving forward. And this was written by a man named Peter. That makes sense. It's First Peter. It's written by a man named Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus around during his life, during his ministry. And he saw how Jesus dealt with spiritual opposition. He got to see firsthand how he dealt with it. So he's a really good source to get some encouragement and help for us figuring out how to deal with with spiritual opposition. Look at what he says here in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Look at the picture we get here. Devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for somebody, finding somebody, trying to devour them. Have you ever had a thought and you just wonder, where did that come from? Maybe you remember a way that you treated somebody poorly way in the past and you've already cleared it up, you've asked their forgiveness, it's behind you, but it just pops up out of the blue, out of nowhere. I had this happen a couple weeks ago. And it's easy to start down the path of feeling shame for what you did, feeling discouraged, remembering the things that you've done. This verse shows where those thoughts come from. There's an enemy who's prowling around, looking for ways to tear us down. So it shows the urgency to keeping our thoughts on the truth. And we see that when it says, be sober-minded. Now, for me, this is one of those phrases that I think, okay, yeah, be sober-minded. It, 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 yeah, I'll do that. That makes sense, I guess. But when I start to think about it, I don't really know what does that practically mean? What does that look like? Well, to be sober, physically sober, is you're not drunk on drugs or alcohol. You're not intoxicated. And so to be sober-minded, going with that thought, what it's talking about here is not being mentally intoxicated. Not being mentally intoxicated with the things of this world is what is being talked about specifically in this, those two words. 
it's easy for our minds to wander, to think about what we want to accomplish in our career, what we want to buy, maybe the vacation we want to go on, what we want to do for fun, our friendships, our, our marriage, our re- reputation, school. It's easy for us to really, just our minds to wander and go out to those things. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves. Those are good things. We need to, we need to have a place to live. We need to do well in our career. God wants us to do well in those things. He wants us to have a good life in those things. But we can get intoxicated with those things. Intoxicated, it means that you lose control of your faculties or behavior. Those things become the driving force behind our life, is what it's talking about here. And I know this firsthand in my thoughts, and we were recently given some money to start looking to, to go and buy a house. And I'll tell you what, I can get excited about that. And I can start looking all around for houses in the neighborhood we'd like to live in, and maybe we should, we should stretch and pay more to, to do more, and I can just get excited. And all of a sudden I know I've, I've wasted a couple hours just thinking about it. And we're not even in a position where we can act on it yet. That's what this intoxication, the things of the world look like. It gets us focused on things that we shouldn't be focused on right now. Not necessarily bad things, but there's other things we need to be focused on right now. So sober-minded. It's a spiritual alertness to our thoughts. It's a focus. It's a focus on the truth in the Bible over pursuing the things of this world. That's all wrapped up into those two words that we see there. And with this focus, we can keep our mind on what's really important. But we can't stop there. The next thing says, be watchful. For me, this makes more sense intuitively, being watchful. You're on the lookout. You're looking out. Be watchful. It means the, this portion of the Bible was originally written in the Greek, and the, the Greek word there, um, it means to be fully awake, on alert. And so as I was thinking about being watchful, I was thinking about police officers. And so I was talking to one of my friends who's a retired police officer this week, and they are always on alert, on duty, off duty. They are always on alert because they know that there's danger out there. They know that there's predators out there that are wanting to do harm. And as I was talking to him, it was really interesting because he says, you know, they have training days all the time to prepare for what they might face on patrol. And one of the things that they're taught is that when you turn a corner, you look as far down the street as you can, and then you work your way back close to you. Because if you look as far down as you can, you're going to probably see things in your peripheral vision that you wouldn't see if you started here and worked your way back. Fascinating. I would never think to do that. I'm thinking I'm looking close because they're going to be the closest to me, and I, I want to be able to deal with that. Another thing he said is that you just always have to be aware of your surroundings. You might be responding to a call at a house, and it's a uh, maybe it's a domestic violence or something, and so you're focused on this house, and somebody jumps out at you. 
you always have to be on alert. You have to be watchful. These are the types of things that police officers deal with. So the police officer needs to be focused and alert on what's around them. And the same for the Christ Christ follower. We need to be focused, sober-minded on spiritual things, but we also need to be watchful. We need to be on alert. These things go together. They're combined. So when the enemy brings up thoughts that tear us down, thoughts like, you're a terrible person. Who thinks that? Who treats people like that? You're not strong enough to get through this difficulty that you're facing. See, this isn't working. You give more and more time to serving God, serving the church. It's not working. Things just get harder for you. It's not worth it to be a Christ follower. When those thoughts come up, we need to be watchful. Watch for them and then deal with them appropriately. Because it's so easy to get focused on ourselves and what's going on. And if we believe these thoughts, then we lose sight of what's most important in life. And we get stuck in hours and days and months or years in turmoil where we're not experiencing God's best for us. So stay alert. Be sober-minded. Watchful. The enemy is, is just prowling around looking for ways to take us out. And then Peter says, resist the enemy with Christ's help. 1 Peter 5.9 says, resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is an encouragement to us all. Peter's saying, don't ignore. You can't just be watchful and be sober-minded, but then you have to actively resist. Actively push against the enemy. And how you do that is resist him firm in the faith. It'd be easy to just read this. Resist him firm in the faith and think, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to resist him, be firm in the faith. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I've done that many times, just read right through this, this passage. But what you find is that this is an action-packed phrase here. Resist him firm in the faith. It's, it's referring back to that there's an enemy that's looking to take us out. He's prowling around. How do we resist that? So let's take a look at the faith that it's talking about here. The faith that it takes to resist. The faith that we can all have through Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at that together. Romans 3.23 in the first part of of verse 25 gives us a picture of the faith. Who we are in in this, who Christ followers are. So let's read it together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. There's a ton of information in these few verses here. And so let's break it down. Let's go phrase by phrase and take a look at at what's being said here. First thing is, for all have sinned. Now, I was having a conversation with my kids, and you're probably going to be able to guess why I was having this conversation. But I, I was telling them, 
we don't use words like always and never when we describe somebody because it's not really ever true, hardly. It's hardly ever true. And so if we say you always lie to me or you never let me do this, then it's just inflammatory. It it tears people down and it's inflammatory. But here we see in the Bible, all have sinned. For all have sinned. We've all done it. And it's true. It's a fact. Sin means that we miss the mark that God has for us to live by. Um, They actually use this term in archery. There's a bullseye. If you don't hit the bullseye right dead in the center, you miss it. It's sin. You're missing the mark that God has for you. So sin is things like lying to get what we want. We think, oh, it's just a little white lie, or it's just saving us trouble down the road, but it's not right to not tell the truth. What's going on? Self-harm mentally or physically, arrogance and pride are sin, elevating ourselves up above other people, or sexual immorality that's sin, adultery, porn addictions, murder is sin. There's this wide range of what Sin is. And this is saying we've all missed the mark. We've all sinned at some point, And we have fallen short of the glory of God. The image that kept coming to mind here when I'm thinking of fall short of the glory of God was a pole vaulter. Now, I'm not a pole vault, vault enthusiast. Watch it once every four years when the Olympics are on. But it's, it's fascinating what they do. And the image that I kept getting in my mind as I was thinking about what does it mean to fall short of the glory of God is that it's easy to think like we're close. We're close to the pole. We're getting close to God, but we're falling short. So it's easy to get this image in our mind. So close, but not quite there. It's easy to think that that's how we are related to God. Because we're not as as bad as so-and-so, or we haven't done this sin, so we get close. But in reality, it's more like this. We're nowhere close. (laughs) That doesn't even do it justice, how far we are from God. The glory of God, we don't use glory, that word, very often. Um, Glory by itself just means honoring based on good opinion. Um, Glory of God, it is the perfection of his character. He's merciful, loving, kind, all-powerful, all-knowing, never changing. He is faithful to us 100% of the time, and he is righteous. Everything he does is right. And so on one side, we have the glory of God, which is perfection. And on the other side, it's comparing us and contrasting us. We're sinners. We've all chosen to reject God and his perfection. And what that rejection has done is it has made it so that we deserve wrath. We deserve God's wrath against us. God's extreme anger 
should come against us because of the choice that we have made to reject him. To not follow his ways for living. And the enemy wants to keep us reminded of that. He wants to keep dragging us down to remember this gap that we have between us and God. But look what is said next. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Wow. We deserve death. We deserve eternal separation from God. We deserve eternity in hell. Torment, pain, gnashing of teeth. But this says we are justified. The word justified here, it's actually, it's a legal term. So when a judge makes a judgment, it is final. And the word here, justified, means declared righteous. And here we see that those that confess Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. They will be declared righteous. This means that believers are righteous through Christ in light of eternity. God sees man as righteous when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. But there's nothing that we could do to be declared righteous. So it's only by God's grace, his undeserved favor, that we can have this standing before God, that we can be declared righteous before God. We fall short on our own. And this justification is only made possible through God's grace and the redemption that came through Jesus Christ on the cross. Redemption is the price that was paid. There had to be a price paid for our sin. And it talks about that in the next verse. God presented him, that's Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Our rebellion incurred God's wrath. And that needed to be dealt with. God is just, he's righteous, he's always right, and he couldn't just sweep our sin under the rug and act like it never happened. This separation was there. This gap is there. But Christ was the sacrifice of atonement. We could not atone for our sin ourselves. Atone is to make amends. We couldn't make amends for our sin ourselves. And so God, because of his character, sent his son, Jesus Christ, because of his love for us, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with that. And his son was born of a virgin. We're celebrating that Christmas. He was tempted with the same temptations that we face on life, but he lived a perfect life. He didn't give in to those temptations. He was perfect like his father is perfect. And he died on the cross as a sacrifice of atonement. Our sins were nailed to the cross when he died on that cross that we could be declared righteous before God because of him. When he was raised on that third day, it was in victory. It was in victory 
that whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved from the penalty of their sins that they deserve. That's the faith that we can use to stand firm and resist the enemy's attacks. And we, Christ followers, we need to also appropriate Christ's victory on the cross to defeat those thoughts that come to tear us down. Appropriate means to devote to a special purpose. That's what it means to appropriate. And so what we've been going through in this series, the Streams of Thought series, is how can we devote God's word and what Jesus has done on the cross to defeat these lies, these thoughts that come into our mind. And so one of those is a defective self-image. The enemy is going to come at us to put ourselves down, thoughts like you're not good enough, you're worse than so-and-so, or who thinks that? Who does that? Or remember when you treated that person that way? What a jerk you are. The enemy is trying to beat us down, to remind us of that gap. We're sinners. God's perfect. Streams of thought that diminish our value as a human being are from the enemy himself. So we need to appropriate what Christ did on the cross to deal with those. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the truth. It's not anything we have done. Yes, we have done those things before. We, we have sinned before. But we are declared righteous before God. And so we can fight those thoughts with saying something, praying something like this. I am justified. I am declared righteous before God through Christ. And whatever thought you're dealing with that's diminishing you, I reject that thought in the name of Jesus Christ. There is power in Jesus Christ's name. You can reject those thoughts. Get back to focusing on what you need to focus on by fighting in that way. And then the enemy comes at you with different thoughts of maybe bitterness towards someone. And Christ gives us a great example of what to do when we're starting to be bitter against somebody. Look at his example. When he was being led to die on the cross, which he deserved not at all, he didn't do anything to deserve that, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Appropriate Christ's forgiveness for you towards other people. It might look like this. I forgive so-and-so just like I am forgiven of my sins, only by God's grace and the victory won on the cross through Christ Jesus. There are aspects of the victory that Jesus Christ won that we can use to fight against these streams of thoughts that come in. And then anxiety and worry, when the anxious thoughts show up, refuse them by appropriating Christ's victory on the cross, by saying something like, I am declared righteous through through Jesus Christ. My deepest need has been met. God will do what is best for me in this situation. I put my trust in him, not myself. God wants us to have a blessed life in the midst of this spiritual war that we're in. 
And he's given us the help to do that. So be sober-minded. Be watchful. Resist the enemy by appropriating Christ's victory won on the cross. Maybe you're here and you're not there yet. You're not yet to a point where you can really put your trust in Christ. You haven't decided to be a Christ follower yet. I want to encourage you. Investigate that further. Investigate what that means. What is a Christ follower? What do they do? And we would love to help you figure that out here at CIV. If you're interested in CIV contacting you and helping you to figure out what it means to be a Christ follower, please just check the box on the back of your connection card. Um, There's one that says, contact me for meeting up with somebody to clarify my commitment to Christ or beginning a relationship with Christ. Just check that box. And we'll reach out to you this week. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can have this faith to stand firm against the enemy's attacks on our thoughts. The truth in the Bible gives us the armor, the the cavalry that we need to fight against what the enemy is trying to sell us as truth. I want to encourage you to take a next step this morning in this battle. Each week we encourage people to take next steps. Um, Go ahead and uh, think through this with me. One of those next steps might be to memorize 1 Peter 8 and 9. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Maybe that would be helpful to you to remember that we're in this spiritual war. There, there's these thoughts that are coming that I'm, I'm thinking are my thoughts, and they, they aren't. I can reject those with the truth found in the Bible. Or is there a specific way that you want to appropriate Christ's victory on the cross to deal with fill in the blank, something specific that you just keep keeps dragging you down, keep getting hammered with it. And so you need to continually fight and appropriate the victory on the cross to deal with those thoughts or just fill in the blank. There might be something totally different that God brought up that you want to pursue this next week to take a next step to grow in your relationship with Christ. God wants us to have the best life possible. And it is through a relationship with him that we can have that life, that we can find victory in these areas that we struggle with. So let's pray and ask him for help in those. God, we just thank you so much that, yes, we, we do have an enemy, but you are stronger. You are more powerful. You defeated him on the cross. And we can... Appropriate that victory that Jesus Christ won on the cross to, to help fight our battles. Lord, if, I just pray that whatever's dragging us down right now, that you would show us, you would help us to push against that, to resist the enemy, and that you would help us to see a victory in those battles. We thank you for who you are, that we can come to you and trust you, um, in, in the things, in our thoughts that battles that go on that nobody else really knows about. 
but you do, and you want to help us. Help us to choose truth over the enemy's lies. In Jesus' name, amen.